Welcome back to Double Trouble. You may remember us as Triple Trouble, however, our closer Atifa was unfortunately involved in a mysterious accident and is no longer with us. Should be dearly missed. On a happier note, though, your two favorite co-stars are back here for another history discussion. I'm your host, Madison Rosario. Let's jump right into it. So you probably heard of this war that happened from 1939 to 1945, maybe even seen clips of it on TV. Well, it's called World War II. Before World War II happened, the world was still dealing with the aftermath of World War I. The Great Depression hit in 1929 and lasted to the 1930s, varying on the country. Most of the world was still unemployed and left in a depressed state of mind. Nationalism increased in Germany. And Germany was also testing the measures of the Versailles Treaty, the treaty that ended World War I. China and Japan were at war with each other. Germany, Japan, and Italy were pushing the buttons a bit too much with their newfound position in the League of Nations, which included invasions and occupying other countries. The Spanish War happened in 1936, which is said to be the lead way for World War II. While all this was happening, the U.S. signed neutrality acts to stay out of the mess. The U.S. goal was to stay neutral, but when Japan launched an attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, the U.S. could not stay neutral anymore. The next day, on December 8, 1941, Great Britain and the U.S. officially declared war on Japan. And December 10, 1941, Germany and Italy officially declared war on the U.S. So the games begin. So a little fun fact, in World War II, British soldiers got a ration of three sheets of toilet paper a day. Americans got 22. Now that we touched base on some background, I think it's time to, to introduce my lovely co-star, the one who's still with us. Welcome back, Kayla. Thanks, Maddie. It's great to be back. Your background was very interesting and informative, but let's get into the details now. One key aspect I think is worth mentioning are internment camps. So, internment camps were established during World War II. From 1942 to 1945, a total of 10 were opened. These were created by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt through Executive Order 9066. This order was signed shortly after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and the idea behind it was to ensure Japanese espionage wasn't happening on American territory. The order demanded the relocation of Japanese Americans to internment camps, but many countries followed the United States lead on this and also had those of Japanese descent relocated to the camps as well. These countries included Canada, Peru, Chile, Brazil, Argentina, and Mexico. The first internment camp was located in Manazar, California, and others were established later in Arizona, Washington, Colorado, Utah, and Arkansas. So Kayla, what was life in an internment camp like? Well, a common occurrence in the camps was a big sense of routine. In a camp, four or five families would be forced to share restrooms, clothing, space, and other possessions. They were also given limited job opportunities. In the event someone was not willing to cooperate, they were transferred to another camp. 
a more strict one made just for those who opposed the treatment in Tula Lake, California. It wasn't much, but slowly small improvements were made to the life in the camps. For example, insulation was added to the barracks. They also got a little more privacy and had partitions separating their rooms as well as some chances at socializing and getting an education. And a fun fact about my overall ideas were freezing of assets, searching private homes, mass incarcerations called by politicians, and arrests were all common results of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. All in all, Executive Order 9066 affected about 117,000 lives. These individuals may be of Japanese descent, but they were actually American citizens for the most part. Unfortunately, yes, they were incredibly popular. Can you imagine the fear they must have brought up in the lives of those of Japanese descent? They're really taking the blame for Pearl Harbor, and it's not like they all had something to do with it. Finally, though, as the war came to an end, the camps closed too. Okay, anyway, let's move on to influential people in this time period. Maddie, why don't you start with Fred Korematsu? Fred Korematsu, he was born January 30th, 1919, in Oakland, California. Fred was a third out of four sons for parents Kotsu Aki and Kazuburo Kumatsu. His parents were Japanese immigrants who ran a flower nursery. When Korematsu heard that the U.S. entered the war, he wanted to enlist. He tried to enlist in the U.S. Coast Guard and the U.S. National Guard, but he was not able due to the discrimination because of his Japanese descent. After getting discriminated against and told he could not join the war, he started to train to become a welder. He was a great welder, his skills increasing each year. One day he got fired due to him being Japanese. So Maddie, why is Fred Korematsu important? Well, he defied the order of 9066, which was issued by President Roosevelt. This order stated that people of Japanese descent were sent to internment camps. He decided he wasn't going to these camps and resumed his life, and even underwent plastic surgery to his eyes to look less Japanese. He changed his name to Clyde Sarah, and instead of being Japanese American, he was now Spanish and Hawaiian descent. Wow, that's so crazy. He went to the extent of getting plastic surgery to avoid the camps. It really shows us how bad those camps really were. At the young age of 23, he got arrested due to him refusing to go to a Japanese internment camp. He got arrested May 30th, 1942. When he was in jail, he talked to the director of the San Francisco Office of American Civil Liberties Union. The director asked Kurmatsu if he was willing to use his case as a test case and bring it up to the Supreme Court. He appealed the case so many times that eventually it went to the Supreme Court and the case was called Kurmatsu versus the United States. 
His attorneys argued on his behalf that the executive order of 9066 breached the Fifth Amendment. The Fifth Amendment stated that no person shall be held to answer for capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia, when an actual service in time of war or public danger, nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be witnessed against himself, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall be private property be taken for public use without just compensation. President Roosevelt broke the Fifth Amendment. He subjected his people and put Japanese Americans in the internment camps and took away their property and jobs without any compensation. Fred Kumaso believed it was his duty to fight against it. He sadly lost the case, the decision was 6-3, to three, and they declared that it wasn't racism but instead it was the army's thought to lock up all Japanese Americans because they could possibly be given information to the enemy. He went on to becoming a civil rights activist and even received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1998. He got married, so a little interesting fact about him is that he found love and not he was famous for not just defying about the internment camps, but he also, back in the day, especially in the states of California and where the love of his life were, which was in South Carolina, he, they couldn't be together because it was an interracial relationship. So they defied that. They went to Michigan and got married so they could be together. And so they ended up having two kids and then he sadly passed away on March 30th, 2005 in Larkspur, California. If it wasn't for him standing up to the injustice of the treatment of the Japanese Americans, then there would still be a chance of some of these cool activities happening today. Him standing up led to others following and eventually his case got reopened and the truth was brought to the daylight, which led to the halt of any more internment camps. So we truly owe him a thank you for his bravery. Fun fact, there is a holiday named after him called California Fred Kumatsu Day and it is the first US holiday named after an Asian American. Hey Kayla, there are many people against Japanese Americans, and I heard you know a bit about one. Uh, I think his name was John DeWitt. Yes, I do. John DeWitt was an American general who served from 1890 to 1942. He was born and raised on army posts, and because of that, he considered himself to be in the army all his life. This is understandable. Clearly, he took pride in those 57 years of service. Because of all that pride, he actually got heavily involved in vocalizing his opinions on World War II. But I'll get into that a little bit later. First, for some background. John received recognition for his participation in not only World War II, but also World War I. He received the Aztec Eagle, which was the most prestigious honor given to foreigners fighting in Mexico. And he also received the American Defense Service Medal, signifying honorable service. He was considered one of the few American, American soldiers that were, give, <laughs> that were considered three-star generals, meaning that they were at a high rank. As of 2016, there had only been 139 three-star generals, to put that into perspective. DeWitt seemed to be pretty big, seemed to be a pretty big deal in the military, but like I said, he was most known for his vocal action. He often spoke out about 
his support of the Japanese internment camps. DeWitt took the bombing of Pearl Harbor very seriously and wanted to take action. Last night, there were planes over this community. They were enemy planes. I mean Japanese planes. And they were tracked out to sea. I do not want to unduly alarm my my fellow citizens, but I want to be realistic. The situation is serious. We must not underestimate what happened 24 hours ago. These are a few quotes from the morning of December 9th, 1941, at the San Francisco City Hall meeting, 48 hours after the bombing. Based on these quotes, I would describe him as very passionate and patriotic. To add to this, just the night before the San Francisco City had their city hall meeting, proving his seriousness on the matter, John DeWitt took action to protect the U.S. from another foreign attack. He ordered a blackout in San Francisco. This way, any bright city lights that were present on a typical night wouldn't be there to aid navigators. He seemed to not have the authority to enforce such drastic action to be taken, though, so only parts of the city were left dimmed. Others remained bright, and this strongly angered DeWitt. To better understand what Japanese Americans went through, me and Kayla thought it is important to include some comparisons against other countries. So I'm going to talk about Japanese Canadians. So the way Japanese Canadians were treated were very similar to Japanese Americans. Japanese Canadians were also faced prejudice and also faced many restrictions. They were shipped to their homes and jobs and sent to farms and internment camps, just like Japanese Americans. The only thing that was slightly different is that 12,000 Japanese Canadians were forced into internment camps and men were separated from families and forced to work and some were also sent to war camps. You know, the number isn't exactly the same for Japanese Americans. But so overall, they faced very similar consequences just for being Japanese Americans and just for being Japanese Canadians. They were judging their descent and thought that just because they're Japanese that they're the enemy, which that was not true. And so for the person I did, Fred Kumatsu, he was different. He was unique because he stood up and he said, I'm not going to those camps. And he stood up and he fought. He wasn't just going to give in so easily. But the way he was treated, that was the norm back then. He was outcasted, just like every other Japanese American, just like every Japanese Canadian. And Kayla's going to talk about Japanese Mexicans. So I'll pass it on to her. brought more positives for Mexico than it did Japan. It resulted in unity and industrialization. 9,000 people of Japanese descent resided in Baja, California, leading to Mexicans fleeing to Mexico City and Guadalajara. Oh my god, I'm not doing this again. It's been too many times. Guadalajara. 
There you go. This is similar to the camps because it involved separation and movement, however, it didn't include the harsh camp conditions. Instead of resorting to internment, internment camps, Mexico decided to prioritize bettering the military. Japan and the U.S. were way more separate than the U.S. and Mexico were in the war. The U.S. even allowed Mexicans in the U.S. to enter the war with them. Thank you so much, Kayla, for providing that insightful information. I definitely expanded my knowledge about the social impact on Japanese Americans. Of course, I love having these conversations. We always learn a lot from each other. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Double Trouble. We'll see you next time. Or maybe with how things have been going, it'll just be me. Dun dun dun! Kayla? Was that you? Kayla? Hello, Kayla? Kayla, did you turn the lights off? Oh my goodness, Kayla! Answer, Kayla! The lights just turned off. Kayla! Oh my goodness, I gotta go, I gotta go! Ooh. Ooh. Okay, things got a little hectic back there, but we're coming to you back as editors. Just like last time, we wanted to share some bloopers. Fred Kuramatsu. Fred Kuramatsu. What? Fred Kuramatsu. He was born January 30th, 1990.